The following is a rebroadcast of Studio Tulsa. This program first aired last year. Welcome to Studio Tulsa. I'm John Schumann with Medical Monday. Inequities abound in medicine, especially in the United States, where our patchwork system of primarily employment-based insurance results in frequent gaps in coverage, out-of-pocket co-payments and deductibles, and millions of Americans who wind up with no health insurance at all and are thus left to make difficult choices about whether to seek care. In addition to economics, race has unfortunately been all too impactful as a determinant of health outcomes due to variable engagement, much of it counterproductive with our healthcare system. My guest today is a frequent speaker about public health issues and justly considers systematic racial discrimination as one of these. In her recently released TED Talk, Dr. Bio Curry Winchell discusses the reasons for historic mistrust of the medical profession on the part of black Americans and what we can do about it. Dr. Curry Winchell is a family physician based in Reno, Nevada. She's the medical director for St. Mary's Medical Group, as well as the medical director for the Washoe County Sexual Assault Response Team. She also volunteers as an assistant medical examiner for Washoe County Child Protective Services. Dr. Curry Winchell has been recognized for her work, recently named the Healthcare Hero from Nevada Business Magazine for 2022, and she was awarded the Community Service Award from Washoe County Medical Society for this year. She was also recently named in the 2022 Top 75 Black Healthcare Leaders to Know by Becker's Hospital Review. She appears frequently in the media answering queries about public health and medical topics, and thus Dr. Bio Curry Winchell is my guest today on Studio Tulsa Medical Monday. Dr. Bio Curry Winchell, welcome to Medical Monday. I'd like to start by just having you tell us about the main thesis of your recent TED Talk, uh, Why Black Patients Don't Trust the Healthcare System. And you actually frame this around someone very important to you, your father, who, as I learned recently, died at the age of 99 earlier this year, who was a military veteran who served our country not just once, but in three different wars. And yet he was it's safe to say, mistreated by both uh, our government and the military, but also uh, in the healthcare system. And so his his views were, were sort of hard found. Could you tell us a little bit about your father? Yes. Well, first, I just want to say thank you for having me. Um, my dad, uh, William Curry, a 99-year-old World War II Korean and Vietnam War veteran, um, a man who served in a segregated military. And although he faced so many different challenges, he continued to give back in so many different ways and always had a way of leaning into positivity no matter what and understanding that he had a bigger purpose in any way that he could to to help people and that is truly what i try my best to carry forward and when i decided to do this ted talk i wanted to highlight some of the things that he faced in healthcare. And it was important to highlight as a physician, the things that I've seen and continue to see that are race-based that impact lives every day um, of people of color and using his story and his personal experiences, this allowed me to, to put it forward. So one example that you gave uh, in the talk, you mentioned that he was somewhat reluctant, I think, at least initially to get a COVID vaccine uh, because he was under the impression that uh, in some ways he would be a guinea pig or that black Americans would be guinea pigs for the COVID vaccine with well-founded reasoning. For example, you highlight what's known as the Tuskegee syphilis study. And I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners sort of the brief history of that 
And it would be somewhat easy to, to if you know about the Tuskegee syphilis study, to understand perhaps your father's reluctance to, to take a, a new vaccine. Yes. You know, when you, um, you know, specifically, I'm going to share with um, with black people, there is a historical mistrust when it comes to public health and just healthcare in itself. And so when you look back and you look at such as the Tuskegee study and what happened to those black men who thought they were helping the healthcare um, system learn about syphilis. And so here they were volunteering their bodies for science in hopes of finding a cure, a treatment um, for the greater good. And unfortunately, what was happening was they were used as a um, experiment to, to see how syphilis impacted um, people's bodies. And as we know, it's a terrible disease. And so here they were suffering the symptoms of syphilis, even after a treatment penicillin was available they were not given that medication. And instead they were observed, notes were taken to help others. And so when you look back at that and you remember that history, which my dad vividly remembered, that carries forward in any sort of socialized um, healthcare opportunities that are put forward. And so when the COVID vaccine was made available, um, he said, absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be their guinea pig. And those were exact words. And it was based on those levels of mistrust as well as what he was facing, even when he went in to, to be seen. And so I think that's something we have to look at as healthcare providers, as healthcare systems that often we say, oh, we need to improve access. We need to improve certain things. And all of those things, yes, are important. But we also need to think about that foundational piece, which is trust, because you can have access everywhere. But if you don't have trust, those patients aren't going to come in. And so that is the instrumental piece that we need to infuse in healthcare. And so how do you do that? You need to acknowledge it. You need to learn about it and then put it forward. And so that was my hope with this talk is to highlight those elements that are needed and the things that my dad, you know, experienced. Yeah, and I think it's worth pointing out to our listeners that I think often in medical contexts that a patient who would decline a vaccine against something like COVID, which has, you know, strong evidence behind it that would lessen the severity or lower the likelihood of catching something like COVID, it's easy in a, in a medical context to sort of put the blame on the patient and say, well, you know, they don't want to take it. That's their loss or, you know, they're, they're being foolish perhaps. But I think understanding the historical context of why someone is mistrustful might go a long way toward helping engage in a dialogue to try to assuage some of those fears um, and to have a better understanding of why someone might decline. You have another really powerful example in your talk of, of a historic uh, race-based consideration that is eerily abundant in healthcare, and it re revolves around the kidney. And um, there is actually a different lab value that is often reported for black Americans uh, than there are for non-black Americans with regard to something called creatinine or glomerular filtration rate. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of why that exists and, and what, if anything, is being done about it? Yes. You know, uh, so at, at this time, we have a 
algorithm, a GFR, that um, assess how well your kidneys are functioning. And currently there are two different areas. So one for black and one for non-black. So as you go in and get your blood drawn to see how well your kidneys are functioning, there's an actual separation based on the color of somebody's skin. And why that's a problem is when you are giving an assessment, a treatment, a diagnosis based on the color of somebody's skin, which when we look at race, it's a social construct. It is not biological, it's not genotypical. And unfortunately, as the status of someone's kidneys are based on that. And in my TED talk, I share that black kidneys and white kidneys are exactly the same. So why are we differentiating based on the color of their skin? And so how, why this is an issue is, it's impacting black lives every day. And so what happens is, if there's two people and one person is black and non-black, the person who's black will be considered to have healthier kidneys. And they could actually have kidney disease, but again, just based on their color of their skin, it's gonna be considered healthier. Down the road, if they need medications or if they need to be on a kidney transplant list, that black patient will not be on the kidney transplant list as soon as someone who is non-black. And when you take that full circle look where we know black people are dying at a disproportionately higher rate of kidney disease, and then you go back and look at a study, a test that puts you at a disadvantage just based on the color of your skin, it's really easy to kind of put together why this is also happening. Of course, there's many elements, but this algorithm is impacting lives every day. And it's something that needs to be removed because it's there's no reason behind it. And it's harmful and it's causing people to lose their life or have complications for no other reason based on the color of their skin. Yeah, I'm so glad that you pointed it out in your talk because it's something that like has existed, you know, really for decades and, you know, as long as I've been in healthcare, And it's not even something, I mean, I think when I initially learned about it, I sort of questioned, like, why would people of color, why would why would black persons have, you know, differing kidney function? And then it just sort of becomes this thing you, you learn to accept if you don't continue to question it. And uh, I think, you know, recently in the last maybe two to three years, um, national societies have 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 recanted and said we need to abolish this because it's absolutely wrong. And as you point out, race is really a social construct. There's zero biological difference between a person with dark skin and a person uh, who has lighter skin. And it, it is because we're using this algorithm with a flawed assumption in it, we in a sense are consigning black Americans to less or worse kidney care, which is, I mean, when you talk about systemic bias. I mean, that is it right there. I mean, it is just kind of shocking that like, and I still see this on lab reports to this day, you know, even though the national societies have said we need to abolish it. So uh, change is hard and slow going. And so I think messages like yours uh, need to be echoed. And Dr. Curry Winchell, I wanted to uh, ask about some other uh, things that you mentioned in the talk. One was uh, a study in the last 10 years or so that surveyed medical students. And I was sort of saddened to learn that 40% of medical students in one study felt that people with black skin feel pain less than people who don't have black skin. 
Can you, I mean, is there any way to explain that? Yeah, I think when you look at that, it really highlights implicit, unconscious bias in itself. And it's important that I start with all of us. Everyone has biases. And so I think when you when you own that, that part helps you kind of have a conversation about it and also discuss how this is impacting people and how this impacts, you know, the, the those medical students who felt this way. And so when you take that information in and then you see the history of black patients pain being dismissed or there's this connotation that or association excuse me that black patients tend to be this way or or have a specific disease and you put all that together it really shows the need for more education because again i go back to we all have these biases but there's an opportunity for us to learn and when you acknowledge it and then you have information to share why that isn't true that's how we're going to make the right step forward in hopes that we don't have another study like this again so if we can put forward and invest true education in debunking these things and and also highlighting that this happens in our medical students and our residents and and people that are working as healthcare providers that will allow us to start making progress one of the ways that this uh, systemic bias uh, manifests was some different researchers compiled a study that showed that in children having their appendixes removed that black children often received less pain control or anesthesia because of a flawed assumption like this? Uh, is that, did I have that right? You do. And so there's this, you know, thought of image of what pain looks like. And I can say, you know, as you and I have experienced in our textbooks, in the patients that we get to practice with when we're in medical school that come and volunteer, it's often not diverse. And so when you have a textbook that is just of one race where you're learning about different things of the human body, but you're not able to absorb and learn about other patients that look different, it's hard to even acknowledge that these implicit biases or um, image in their mind that, oh, this doesn't look like pain because I've never seen it. That's how this kind of fosters. And so the more diversity we have in our textbook, in our um, the, the patients that we get to learn from and, and so forth, that will help create a bigger catalog of education and, and knowledge on everyone looks different when they're experiencing pain. And it's okay to, to highlight, oh, I wasn't aware that this person is experiencing pain, but it's not something that I'm used to seeing. And so that's where we need to really be able to think about that. Because in that study, as you mentioned, children are getting less pain medicine based on the color of their skin. And I'm gonna add one more thing that I think is important. When we look at, even with the diagnosis of hypertension, and I talk about this in my TED talk, and we state that we should give a different class of medication based on the color of someone's skin for black patients, it also helps kind of think about or reinforce why there's this thought process 
that black patients are different than other patients because we are learning to give care in a different manner. And so those are, that's another element that can also foster these unconscious or implicit biases that we are different. I want to focus on another aspect of implicit bias, which is something that you painfully experience on, I think, a regular basis, and you're very vulnerable about in the talk, which is that you are a black woman, you are a physician, you have gone through all of the schooling that all of your white colleagues have, and there's often an assumption made that you are not a physician, or, and that can be as much about your gender as the color of your skin. But for example, frequently you're told when you introduce yourself as a doctor, well, I'll wait to talk to the doctor or I'll wait for the real doctor or some slight such as this. I, I can't imagine that that feels good. How often does that occur like even now in this, this day and age? So um, it actually happens quite often. And, you know, it can be where it may be once a week, it may be once every couple of months, but regardless of the frequency, the impact that happens from that is very hard to digest. And I often think about others who are experiencing this as well. And all of us as physicians, we love what we do at least that's why I, I do. I love being a doctor and I love helping people. And it's really hard when you are trying to put everything forward and put your best effort to help someone or even save someone's life. And you are stopped just from the beginning, just from the start when you walk into the room and told that you are not accepted or your care is not good enough based on what you look like. It's hard. It's it's hard to absorb, but I know what I love to do and I love being a physician and I I it brings me so much joy to help people. And so even when those things happen, I continue to move forward and I continue to help anyone that is, you know, willing to let me help them. And um, but it does. I remember in med school and residency and even as resident um, saying, hi, I'm Dr. Curry Winchell. And they were not able to take that in. It was as if that image of a black female doctor was not possible. And it's also due to the fact that we need more. <laughs> we need more representation because I think that can also be a way to to, to combat that. And I, I, you probably can already tell where my heart lies is providing solutions, highlighting those issues that are happening, but also leaning into what can help it. And so I think if we have more representation, that can also help you know, people understand that yes, black doctors exist. Yes, black female physicians exist, but it's something that I have to constantly say, I am Dr. Curry Winchell. And, and one piece that's interesting as well, as far as a microaggression, if I do say, I want to be called, you know, doctor, you can sometimes see this level of um, where they feel like, oh, she must be showboating or she must be. And it's no, I, I am a physician and I earn that title. And I think that's another piece of a microaggression um, that happens daily to females and women of color. And it's something that we have to acknowledge because it's difficult and it's something that you carry forward as you're just trying to put healthcare 
you know, for your patients in the best way possible. Okay, I'm going to reintroduce you here, and then I'd love to talk about uh, some proposed solutions that you have. You're listening to Studio Tulsa. It's Medical Monday. I'm John Schumann. And my guest today is Dr. Bio Curry Winchell, who is a family physician uh, practicing in Reno, Nevada, um, where she's also a medical director for several organizations, including serving as a member of Nevada's medical advisory team. And you can learn more about her at her website, drbcw.com. Um, but we're focusing here on her recently released TED Talk titled, Why Black Patients Don't Trust the Healthcare System. So one of the solutions you offer is representation. Uh, you talk about why it's so important. And um, let's, for a second, just focus on some of the demographics. It is 2% or fewer of all physicians in the United States that are black females. What, tell us a little bit about the statistics or the, the numbers. That is correct. So I represent approximately 2% um, of physicians um, in the U.S. are black um, <laughs> uh, female physicians. And so that's an important piece to think about because um, when you are looking at really adding representation, there is a need to increase that. And there's a lot of challenges and barriers that just happen when you even look at gender um, to kind of get more females in healthcare. When I think of uh, Black female physicians, there is definitely a need to increase our representation um, throughout the U.S. and across the world. So when you talk about um, the low numbers of, currently the low numbers of, of Black female physicians in the U.S., what would we need to achieve in order to, for example, I suppose, um, get to the number of, of black females in the general population. I, I think in your talk, you said it, we would need to triple the number of black female physicians on the order of, there's, right now on the order of 17,000 black female physicians out of 870,000 plus physicians. So we'd need to see, you know, 52, 53,000 overall. Is that, is that, would that be a better number? We would need to increase our um, representation by at least 6% to, to meet the needs of our population. And so there are a couple of things that can help with that. When you think of just trying to get into medical school and understanding all of the aspects, mentorship and sponsorship can be very helpful. And just having someone share with you, this is what you need to do as far as getting those clinical hours. And that's a big piece. And that's what I like to start with because often people know somebody to be able to network and, and get those clinical shadowing hours. And, and that doesn't always happen um, for women of color. And so that piece is so instrumental in being able to get those opportunities. But when we talk about representation, if there isn't a lot of us, out there, that really puts you at a disadvantage to have those opportunities. So that's huge, as well as, you know, guiding through how with the MCAT and, 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 and that entire process. And then also the financial difficulties that come along with just applying for medical school. Those are all things that we can really utilize to help build the representation. And I was so excited to recognize Black Girl White Coat and just the amazing work that Dr. Sandra Coker is doing and putting forward for Black women across the world. That's what we need more of. We need that opportunity to see someone that looks like you, someone that's working in that field that can help you along 
um, as you go for, you know, your, your, your dream, your journey of being in healthcare. Yeah, and because you you highlighted it in your TED Talk, uh, I was able to uh, learn more about it. BlackGirlWhiteCoat.org is the website. It's a 501c3 nonprofit organization that, as you stated, provides guidance, representation, mentorship, and scholarship to black and Hispanic individuals pursuing careers in healthcare. And uh, that is a mission that I think it would be very easy to get behind because there's no question uh, ethnographic, uh, anthropologic, all kinds of research tell us that when patients are able to be treated by medical professionals that look like them, that speak their language, that share culture with them, uh, the trust that you talk about is lacking uh, in some of the black community with regard to healthcare is much more readily established. And you also, you highlighted another uh, organization, the Association of Black Women Physicians. Can you tell us a little bit more about that organization? Yes. Again, another amazing organization that is really a resource for Black physicians working as well as those who want to become physicians. And so they also um, provide an amazing um, space of resource and, and support that is needed to get through and, and provide scholarships as well. And so these two organizations are just doing amazing work in hopes of increasing our representation within healthcare. So Dr. Curry Winchell, I wanted to finish by just asking you a little bit about your work. Your media work seems uh, very self-evident. You, you, um, if listeners are interested, they can see some of your media appearances. Um, but you, you have a great presence and energy uh, when you're on video or as, as listeners can hear today on audio. But you are involved in many activities uh, in Reno and in Washoe County, which is the county uh, that you uh, live and work in. But some of the work that you do is around um, child abuse or sexual assault uh, investigations or survivors. Um, that just seems like work you do kind of on your own. You're not, it's, it's not, those are not part of your employment, right? So I do have a lot of jobs, but I, I love what I get to do. And so um, I am I'm a volunteer medical examiner with um, Washoe County, but I'm also I'm an employee um, for the sexual assault response team. And that's through the Child Advocacy Center. So I'm employed there, but then I also have a volunteer role as well. And um, I absolutely love that work. I love being able to give back as a physician and just help, um, whether it's kiddos or adults. And then I also work for a couple of hospital systems as well, as you mentioned. And um, I produce, um, my husband and I produce these videos called Beyond Clinical Walls, which yes, it's a play on my name of Bio Curry Winchell. And it really highlights at least what I feel healthcare is moving forward in and I feel is what it's about, which is delivering healthcare in a non-traditional way. And I feel whether it's an in-person discussion, whether it's a talk that I do, a television you know, media hit, or through the videos that I create, that's a way of delivering healthcare. Um, and it doesn't have to be in the clinic. You can provide healthcare and health literacy beyond the clinical walls. And so my husband and I have created these videos, a little mini series that I talk about diabetes, hypertension. I talk about different studies and I put it in a bite-sized digestible way. And the other thing I love to do, and we talked about this in the beginning, where I ask people, what would you like to know? 
you know, I, I believe in leaning into what is, what do others want to know? What is their why? Like, why do they mistrust? Or what, what questions do they have about certain topics? And so when I receive those, I create a video and I write my own scripts and my husband actually, um, that's not his full-time job. He creates these videos um, based on my script and we do it in our home. Dr. Biocurry Winchell, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Dr. Biocurry Winchell is a family physician in Reno, Nevada. You can learn more about her uh, from her TED Talk, which you can find on the internet, or from her website, drbcw.com. Well, that's our show for this Medical Monday. Studio Tulsa is produced and edited by Scott Gregory. The views of our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of KWGS or the University of Tulsa. For Studio Tulsa, I'm John Schumann with Medical Monday. Please stay safe out there. <laughs>